in Sweden and I had done the first comedy shows. We had done the first stand-up Estonia shows, comedy Estonia shows. And I got kicked out of my apartment in Stockholm and I decided to move to Finland and I packed everything I owned at the time into the old black Volvo wagon, the one that I broke and then I gave to Sander and it broke more. My bed was on the roof, all my gear. I didn't have all the crap back then and I put on a ferry and I took off the new stuff. And now, <laughs> I am also on a ferry. Today I'm on the ferry to Finland and I decided I wanted to record another solo podcast. Now, they've got the new mega starship, which is all fancy, and there's a huge bloody store over there selling me all kinds of crap. And there's nice things, and there's like Starbucks. And if you go there, it's just one machine with a Starbucks ticket. Go fuck yourself. But I'm here, and I'm recording a solo podcast, and they don't have any cabins. Like, I just thought there was, I thought there was always cabins to rent. Like, 30 bucks, you get a cabin for the trip. It's not good value, but you get a trip. There's no cabins on this new because they just want you to be out and buying things. So I'm sitting in the hallway near the entrance to the duty-free. As people walk by, this is the quietest place I could find on the ferry to sit and talk. This is the most abstract, weird idea. And when I sit here nine years something later going, where did my life take me? Now I'm recording solo podcasts on a ferry while drunk Finnish people walk by at 7.30 in the morning. Unbelievable. This is my next solo one. I wanted to record it. I'm itching to record. And I wanted to record it. Uh, yeah, I just want to do it. And I wanted to, to tell you guys about Bill Burr. That was such a big and interesting event for me to be able to promote Bill Burr and Riga. And I want to tell you guys all about it. I want to tell you about a few things. First, I'm going to tell you about Netflix special I just watched, which you got to watch. I think it's great. Talk to you a little bit about art and some of my current thoughts about helping artists. And then I'm going to talk all about Bill Burr. So it's a solo episode. Uh, I recorded last night with Avery and uh, now, yeah, I'm, I, I want to get back in the swing of things. So I thought, fuck it. I got two hours on this ferry. I'm going to make it happen. Even if all the tiling staff are staring at me like I'm a weirdo and I'm like, you take endless amounts of truck drivers and I am the weirdo. But okay. <laughs> it's like, it's 7.23 in the morning. I'm going to Helsinki to hang out with some of our partners for the day uh, when we're doing like the big shows like Jimmy Carr. And, uh, and different big stars in Finland. We present them there too. Yeah, we have partners, right? Because I'm not, I don't know all about Finland market. So we work with, you know, experts over there who are making it happen on the ground. So I'm going over to chat with them. You know what? And more and more, that's my job these days is getting out, talking to people, making it happen. Like, you know, it, it, as, as anyone who started a startup knows, eventually you got to let go of the small details and you don't really want to let go. But, you know, that's what the team needs. The team needs you to unify everybody together and they need you to set a big vision. And so, yeah, I got to get on the road more and I got to talk even more than I currently do. So that's why I'm going to Helsinki on the 7.30 ferry. This is a world of joy and excitement in the middle of winter. So the stuff I want to talk about. First thing, uh, a special that I think you should watch. Netflix, open it up. Neil Brennan, Three Mics. This is an amazing stand-up special that I watched the other day. And I think I just saw it at the right time in my life. So, Neil Brennan. Uh, let me explain who the fuck Neil Brennan is. American stand-up comedian, funny guy, skinny, nerdy-looking, glasses-wearing, white guy. Right? That stereotype. However, the thing is that back in the day, Neil Brennan was one of the co-writers of The Chappelle Show. Dave Chappelle 
Once in a Generation Performer, amazing. And The Chappelle Show, when it was on, I think about the 2000s, it was like three seasons, a sketch comedy show, and it was the biggest thing in the world at that time. Like, it was the biggest thing on television then, and it was, like, it was just amazing. Still one of the best regarded TV shows, and one of the most influential, like, one of the best TV shows ever, but also one of the best TV shows talking about African-American culture, dealing with issues of race, right? Black Bush. Dave Chappelle was Black Bush. Then he was the Black KKK guy. This is, like, go. Oh, you've probably seen Black Bush, if you haven't already. So my point is that behind the scenes, while Dave Chappelle show was one of the most iconic African-American TV shows ever, there was a skinny white guy as Dave's writing part, writing half of it. And that, I think, gives, like, that's such an interesting situation for this guy to be in because, like, you can't talk about someone else's culture. He's like, bitch, I read the fucking Chappelle show. What do you want? How much do you have to do to be accepted in, right? And there's no, I don't think there could be any doubting. Neil Brennan's got the cred. And, like, this guy who was, I was interacting with on Twitter the other day and I made a joke about Ekra and he's like... You can't talk about Ekra. We don't want to hear your opinions. You're not, you know, don't talk about Estonian stuff. And I'm not interested in arguing with no one. I wrote back and said, don't worry, brother. I love you. It's cool, man. And then he must have seen my tweet before where I talk about, well, I've been here for eight years and I finally passed the driving exam. And then without me prompting, he replies back and says, oh, I'm sorry. I saw you've been here for eight years. I guess you do have the right to say things. And I thought it was so interesting, and I'm not meaning to to diss on the guy. Right on him. I appreciate that he did his work, and he looked in, and he was man enough or big enough as a person to say that. That was very nice. We had a pleasant exchange on Twitter afterwards. Yeah, pleasant Twitter exchange. I know. And, you know, we made some jokes, and we all agreed that, you know, the craziest pictures out there is probably Eric Nils across. We can all agree that guys are crazy. You know, we can all, left and right, we can all come together and agree that Eric Niels across is a crazy person. I love it. But just as a general idea that there are those out there who go, no, you can't talk about something. You're not. Shut up. You're not allowed to. But eight years, I was allowed to talk. But not two years, not one year. How many winters must I endure before I'm allowed to talk? You know what I'm saying? So Neil Brennan has the right to talk about black culture. He doesn't very much, but it's super interesting when he does. I love that idea of you get caught like in this in fucking this day where we're all we're all social justice warriors. You're allowed to someone's there is one person who's allowed to say it. I love that idea. So watch Neil Brennan. Um, I like it because he talks about like this Dave Chappelle show was the biggest TV show in the world. Like the pressure and the big kind of thing if you don't know the backstory of this is that there was so, it was two three three seasons three seasons plus some change and the pressure got so much that the story is is that Chappelle just walked away he just like up and left 50 million sitting on the table and he just walks away and he's Christ knows I think he went to Africa for a while so you've got the biggest biggest thing that you'll ever do and then it just ends and I'm fascinated by that idea as well that like what happens when there's the biggest thing that you'll do the most iconic thing that you can ever do. How do you move on from that? How do you... Like, Neil Brenner makes amazing stand-up specials. He's produced a couple now. He's an amazing writer. He does so much work. He could produce smashing hour-long stand-up special after smashing hour-long after special, hour-long special. And still, it wouldn't necessarily be as iconic as The Chappelle Show. 
because that had a time and a place and it was a moment and you know it's gone down in folklore after Dave disappeared for you know wasn't no one saw for him for the next five years after that so I love when he talks about how he dealt with moving on from the most iconic thing ever and so the next part is not only do I like the content and what he talks about I like the concept of his special it's called Three Mics and the astute amongst you will understand he's got three microphones on the stage. So what he does, he's got three microphones on the stage rather than the typical stand-up one. And he does stand-up into one mic, like just regular stand-up jokes, 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 blah, blah, blah. He does emotional stuff into another microphone, talks about his father, talks about his life, talks about Chappelle's show. And then the last one, he just does cheesy one-liners. And so he's doing different styles of performance in different mics, and I love it. What a cool, interesting concept. Because in stand-up, we so often try to write weird segues and glue styles together that don't often work. Like, okay, I'm doing my emotional bit, talking about why my father never loved me, and ha, ha, ha. And then you do that bit, and then there's the instinct in the comedian. It's like, ah, oh, I better put some jokes at the end just to fucking make it go down all right. You know, it's the sugar at the end. Like, I just told an impersonal emotional story, but better throw in some one-liners at the end so everyone leaves with a smile on their face. And comedians are dealing with that shit. Hannah Gatsby's dealing with that shit. She's like, I don't give a fuck. She was very happy to not throw in punchlines to make it happier. But Brennan took a different route. He went, I'm literally going to broadcast. Now I just do cheesy one-liners. There's no facade anymore. I love it. And you like, if you write a segue as an audience, you're probably accepting it. You're listening going, yeah, fair enough. I see what he was doing there. I appreciate that he made a joke. Like, you know, it's still, it's like when you go to the theater, you know, there's a script, but you suspend some disbelief for a moment because you want to enjoy the theater. You know, you know, a soulless <laughs> person going, oh, this sucks. You're just reading from a script. It's not made up in the moment. So I love that Neil Brennan, like he's just like he's special with the three mics and there's you know three spotlights and he's at each one and you know what he's doing. There's no need to bullshit us with a segue. Oh my god, he's the talent guy. This is my proof that I'm on the ferry. And there's no need to bullshit you with oh now I'm doing a cheesy line, now I'm doing a heartfelt story. For me, I love that he's just so clear about it. I'm gonna talk about their stuff. It might be funny, it might not be funny. Oh, and here's a one liner. So Neil Brennan, I watched it on the week. It's been out for years. I don't know why I didn't watch it. Go watch Neil Brennan's special, Three Mics on Netflix. Next thing before I get and talk about Bill Burr is I had this epiphany understanding about myself and my art the other day, which is about producing. And I've talked a lot about that. Am I producing? What's the workload? Am I doing too much business? Not enough art? Um, in my apartment, my apartment is fucking awesome. I love my apartment. It's got so many interesting things in there because of my video games collecting. I got a whole bookshelf full of stuff. I got a weird Soviet Union Sega Master System. I got every model of Nintendo and GameCube and modifications done to different consoles and I've got them displayed and I've got a lot of boxes. And I've got some lined up that I use, I've got some packed away. But everywhere I look, there's something interesting because I love this stuff. And if you're the collector of anything, like if you're, I don't know, whatever you might collect or you might work on, even if you the cars, you know the story of each one, you know where you got that bit from, you know the backstory, you know where it fits into the industry and the context. I know all that crap about my video games. 
And so I love my collection and I love all that stuff in my apartment. Everywhere I look, there's something hugely interesting for me. However, this is not good for making art. This is not good for a clear mind. Like, okay, I got to sit back. I got to write something, clear my mind, write some thoughts. When right over there, there's an amazing Sega Saturn and I've just got a fighting stick and I really am getting better at Street Fighter 2 Turbo and I would like to go over there and churn out a few more rounds. But no, I'm going to sit here and write my thoughts and think about the day because I've been keep talking about it. I don't think after a while you can just schedule in art. I don't think you can just say after a while... Oh, they got that other voice up there. Tarlink, if you're listening, can I do the voiceover? That one I'll do for free. All right? Okay, I'm going to edit this one. This is fucking annoying me. I'm just going to stop and wait till this guy's done. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for that. I usually, you know, I don't like to edit people, but the worst is over. All right. So there's so much, like my apartment, my apartment's all open, right? I got like two levels kind of thing, but it's all open. There's no rooms. And so I can't sit and focus because I love all that crap in my apartment. And it's so interesting to me. That's why I collect it. But I don't have a separate space. This is all a massive justification that I should move and actually get a games room. (laughs) But yeah, it's like, could that have been a a factor in, in where I've ended up now that I don't have a quiet space to sit down and and really focus away from all that stuff i would love a games room that i can literally and metaphorically close the door on on the way out so i think that's something that i don't know what the answer is because i don't want to move i really don't have the energy to like up and move and get a new place i gotta get a new rent it's gonna cost more christ knows buying an apartment this is way too an adult a concept for me now so i don't know what to do i'm still thinking about how to put it away but yeah like uh, sunday morning i wake up and i'm like what do I feel like doing? And I'm like, oh, Street Fighter 2 Turbo is still out. I think I might have a little game of that first. And then you try to justify it to yourself. You're like, well, look, maybe you should sit and write. You're supposed to write a letter to your mother. You know, talk about some stuff. And then you go, oh, fuck it. No, I'll just play that. Like the distraction is too strong. You shouldn't have to. You need a sort of empty space to look around. That's why I'm probably recording more when I'm traveling. Maybe that's why I liked in Japan. I only had one console to travel with me just a little bit. And then just the bag and not all this crazy distraction around me. So I'm thinking about that. Think about your space. Think about what's around you. Think about your free time. And remember, you can't just schedule in, I think, true artistic work. It needs time and it needs space. And that is an ill-defined quantity. I have no idea how much that is. So 15 minutes in, I want to talk to you guys a bit about Bill Burr. Because this was an amazing thing that happened. So Bill Burr came to our part of the world and I was very fortunate that I was able, uh, with Comedy Estonia and Comedy Latvia, we were the promoters of the Bill Burr show in Riga. We organized that one down there. And so the first thing, I'll try and talk through kind of the whole thing, the setup and what goes on. So how do we get it? The first thing is when you're promoting international acts, it's all about relationships. It's all about, you know, the guy, you know, that agent, you know, that manager and relationships and reputation that they know you're all right you know there's that loose guy he's down there and he's he's all right you know we had a guy go down there he looked after him didn't fuck it up too badly and we know that that familiarity is everything that relationship is everything and 
so then, yeah, we find out Bill Burr's toing, and then you put in an offer, and you say, here's my offer, and that has a number of different things. One of them is financial take-home, but there's many other different factors that can go into an offer that can say, hey, I want to be with one promoter or another. Because we work through all Baltics, and also Finland, we put in a bunch of offers for a bunch of different cities. You're not guaranteed to get them all. That can be because all kinds of reasons. A lot of it can just be schedules. Uh, we came down to a choice in the end. There was one final day and the gig was either going to be in Riga or in Vilnius. And truth be told, I was actually trying to push it down to Vilnius. I really wanted Paulius to get the gig down there and we were going to go down there and have a good time. I was actually angling to get that gig to go to Vilnius. And in the end, the artist management said no because there's no good flights out of Vilnius. He can't get to the next date within a reasonable... Uh, the next day without a re- you know in a reasonable flight so Riga is what it's going to be and it can come down to stuff like that and that can you know choices like the flight times can literally be the reason why it happens in one city and not another city so there's a lot of different factors and in t- and you know to be direct we didn't win the contract in Tallinn Comedy Estonia didn't promote that show and that's just the way it goes that's just the business as I said many different factors that determine what why they would go with one offer over another and that didn't work out and that's just the business and I think look you've got to accept that you're working in show business if you get no prissy and you know this is not an easy business to be in it's as I find it's as sharky and as intense and as all the the Hollywood uh, entourage and all the behind the scenes and as you might think show businesses like it's got all of that in it there so if you want to play the game you got to be fine with that so we still won the offer in Riga and I was over the moon with excitement that I get to promote and I get to help out one of the greats and one of my favorites so we win Riga and the next thing that comes across is then like how many tickets to sell like how, and that's constrained by the hall. Riga does not have a lot of halls. So the only really big option that we've got there is the Congress Hall, which is 1,200 seats. Yeah, there are bigger halls. You go to the, there's the bloody tin can soccer stadium or something or the, some hall or Skonto Hall or some crap, I don't know, some bigger things. But, you know, what's reasonable? It's like, I mean, yeah, in Estonia, you can have a Lexler Hall for 1,800 seats or your next choice is really like Sakosa Hall which at a lower configuration is more like 3,000. That's a big jump, 1,800 to 3,000. So the question becomes, when you're getting a big artist, it's not like, is Bill Burr going to be popular? Yeah, motherfucker, he's going to be popular. It's how popular is popular. How much is a lot? Is it 1,500 seats? Is it 3,000 seats? Is it 10,000 seats? Bill and and Paul, who is his warm-up act, have stories about Bill doing Madison Square Garden 18,000 people in Madison Square Garden because the way they do it is they do it in the round. Like there's people all around them. And if you do it just as a regular stage, it's 15,000. But if you do the garden in the round, you can fit the extra 3,000 in the back. 18,000 people. That changes the game. Totally different style of performance. So how popular is popular? So my point is that we, my mistake was that I put one show on at eight o'clock. We put a show on at eight o'clock, sells out in 15 minutes. Boom, it's gone. And I go, oh, okay. Now I understand how popular is popular. All right, cool. So uh, I get that a bit. 
and then it's like time for a second show. But here's the difficulty. Eight o'clock was a dumb time for me to schedule that first show. I really should have just scheduled it for seven because then you can have a late show afterwards. And I didn't know what to do in that case. And I was like, okay, I've been a bit dumb. I put the first show on at eight. We clearly need a second show. We got approval from management for a second show. We talked to them and like, yep, Bill's happy with a second show. Cool. So then I'm like, well, what am I gonna, I gotta move this show. And it's either gonna be the late show, the 9.30 show or seven. That's what we ended up with the two shows. Now, I didn't know, I was like, well, here was my thinking. My thinking was two shows in a night is super common for American artists. It is very normal. They do it all the time. It's just part of the game. So there's no issue of like, oh, is one show better or something like that? Not in terms of like quality from the artist. But if you had to ask anyone who's in comedy, hey, would the early show or the late show be better? It's always the late show. The late show is where it's at. The artist is warmed up. Maybe they had a drink. They're cruising. They're in the zone after doing it. And if they're any level of professional, they can pull off two shows like without thinking about that particularly a great like burr. So I was like, the, the second show is the good show. That's the one you want to go to. That's the thing. So the controversy that ensued after this was that I decided that the first show, the original show, gets moved to 9.30 and then we would add an early show. Because I was like, well, you guys, you, you're my people who bought early. You, I want you to see the best show. And that's the second show. And so I put the information out and I, uh, online and we said, here's the new announcement. Original show is now late show and there's an early show. And the people in Latvia lost their mind. They went crazy. There was a flood, a wall of social media comments, more than 100, more than 100 comments within 30 minutes. People expressing their displeasure and saying that they didn't want the 8 o'clock show to get moved back to 9.30. So why is that? There's a bunch of reasons. And so here's what happened. So then I put the information out and... This whole thing goes down in 30 minutes. This controversy, social media, you know how things blow up these days. At the same time that all this is happening, I'm hosting an event. Like I think it was maybe Robotex. I forget one of those conferences I was hosting. So I'm walking on and off a main stage doing back announcements. In the meantime, on my laptop to the side of stage, getting the most intense social media pressure that I've ever experienced before, all condensed down into 30 minutes. And... uh. I got to deal with both of those things at once. And it's like, how do you deal? So all these people, I've said the late shows, now we're going to do the late show. These people are unhappy. And at first, I don't get it because I think I'm doing the right thing. I think I'm giving them the best show. So I, someone likes like, this is not good. And I, my first reply is, oh, why? Why, why is that? And because I genuinely didn't know. So here are the reason that kind of went through. Some were said, some were not said. They felt, so the first thing was that they felt the second show would be worse because the artist would be tired. And I'm like, what? You guys don't understand how entertainment industry works. The second show is the good show. And, you know, like, no, the artist is going to be tired. And I'm like, oh, please, really? And then it's like, I can't convince you of that. I don't know how I'm going to be able to convince you that the second, like, what evidence do I need to provide? Then, so they were con had concerns over 
the ability of the artist, which is unfounded completely. But okay. Secondly was, they were upset that they were not the first people to see the show. And this one, I totally didn't see coming. So, they felt that they people were going to see the show before them. There were others who were going to see the show at 7 o'clock. They were going to see it at 9.30 and that upset them. That, that someone else would see it before them. And I just didn't imagine that would be a factor. Look, if you ask me now, I can academically see the idea, but it does seem a bit like, what? Someone else has seen the show two hours before you and that takes away from your experience. Your viewing of that art is so subjective that if someone saw it two hours before you, that takes away from your enjoyment. Wow. What the... Again, on an academic level, I get it. It's all right. But I just kind of didn't see that one coming. And so people were concerned. They thought they were buying the first show when actually they're getting the second show. Look, and I got to say, I'm telling you this because I'm not sure there's a lot of Latvians listening. It's all my Estonian peeps listening. I think they're still a little bit like a few steps back in Latvia. And I think there's still that kind of status thing of like, oh, I'm on. Yeah, I get the first show. I'm a very important person. And I see that happening in Estonia, but I don't see it as strong. I think you guys are a little bit, you kind of get it a bit more. You might be a bit annoyed, but you wouldn't be like online social media outrage about it. Yeah, you Sure, there's disappointment, but not like these guys were intense. Just walls of comments coming at me. Uh, And you know what? More than just, oh, someone else is seeing the show before me. No one was so explicit, but I got an undercurrent of like, just that the idea that anyone else would see. Not just that there was an earlier a late show, but that they had bought tickets thinking that would be the only show and all those other people out there in the world wouldn't be seeing it. And I think there was an undercurrent of them being pissed off that just that there was a second show, just that there was someone else. Oh, you didn't get tickets to that show? Oh, I got tickets to that show. I'm super cool. That, I think there was that. But no one wanted to be so obvious, but I kind of detected it running through then there was another thing about that uh well you know transport well that just means the show's an hour and a half later that means the show ends an hour and a half later that means that maybe there's not buses trains whatever you need to get home that i get that makes logical sense and that was probably when i heard that argument in the stream wall of comments that was the first one where i was like all right i'm starting to see some sense because at first i'm trying to tell people the late show's the good show guys this is what you want and then after a while, and when I say a while, like 15 minutes, I understand I'm never going to convince these people. I'm never going to convince them of my side of things. I'm never going to be able to like, who has been outraged online? Blah, 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 and then goes, oh, well, the person posted a thoughtful link that really gave me insight. Now I've changed my opinion on this matter. It's not happened with any kind of social media outrage, right? I'm never going to convince them of the opposite. The tickets are not on sale yet. I just made the announcement. So very quickly, I, I try to be as explicit as possible. I'm going back through. I'm trying to write to them like very often in the event to keep them informed. And then eventually I'm like, guys, how would you like this? Here's my proposal even. I said, no, I'm going to change that. Here's my proposal. You guys get the 7.30 show. The second show will be the late show. And... If you want, you can get a refund, no problems. We won't ask any questions if you want a refund. Sure, if there was a whole thing. 
And I said, do you like that idea? That was about the 25-minute mark. <laughs> 25 minutes in. And then eventually they said, yeah, people were like, yes. And that seemed to calm them down. You know, enough people, clearly some people still disappointed for some other reason. And that calmed them down and that's what we went with. So, th- And that whole thing happened within 30 minutes. So that was a super interesting day for me to have to deal with online, this kind of group online outrage. Again, I think people, there were some valid comments in there. There were some other thoughts that I don't think were completely valid, but you're not going to be able to convince them otherwise. So I had to quickly change it around, be as vocal as possible, be as clear as possible as I could and just write it out. And it's good, right? I take it as, man, that's some good training. If there's a skill that you can have these days, it's being having a thick skin on the internet. That to me sounds like a good skill to have in the year 2019, that when people tell you shit on the internet, you don't get upset by it and you can deal with it in a rational way. So I'm like, cool, I went through the training camp. So that's why we, but it was all down to ultimately my, I should have just put the show originally at seven o'clock, you know? That was... There you go. Small decisions can have long repercussions later. So that's why we've got down to two shows. Um, moving on. So the tickets all sell out real fast. Uh, the second show, when it goes on sale again, sells in 15 minutes. It's great. Very excited for all that. Positive. And there's positivity from now on. People are in a good place. So cool. Fuck. Because the other thing is, you know, I've got all this social media outrage. That directly reflects upon the artist. I am in some ways representing... Bill Burr, in some ways, his name is on the show. So I need to make sure that I'm making the correct moves because my moves reflect upon the artist. And that could have even greater repercussions for me if I fuck it up. (laughs) So Bill Burr's show is technically pretty easy to do. If you're at one of the shows you saw, there's nothing special. He's got a light on him. He's got a microphone. He's got a stool. There's a couple of drinks. What do you want? That's all there is. So... Technically, that wasn't a difficult show to set up. So we make the arrangements. Bill's going to fly into Riga. We go and meet them down there. We get them to the hotel. And then about two o'clock in the afternoon, it's time for us to head into the theater, the Riga Congress Center. And it's very early, but it's time for us to... I always like to be in there early to make sure there's no problems. Especially in Riga, like the, the, the light guy doesn't speak English, only speaks Russian... And I got to like talk on the walkie-talkie to the sound guy. And then the sound guy talks to the light guy. And we make it happen. But there's always extra little bits. And I think the thing about that Bill Burr's show was technically very simple. But still doesn't mean it's easy. Because when the things are simple, you are expected to have them exactly correct and in order. And down to the schedule and down to the minute. Even more so when it's easy. Why didn't you, why didn't you have this on time, bro? The guy wanted, I don't know, a plate of food. Why wasn't the plate of food there on time? That's all you had to do, right? So, I think there's still, even though it seems easy, you know, he, he had a backstage rider. It wasn't complicated. He wanted some food. He got his opener. He got the guys there. He wants some food. They want some drinks. They want some tea. What do you want? It, it was pretty straightforward. But you got to make sure that there's a schedule. There's, I got to get the get his manager from the airport at a certain time. Get him from the hotel at a certain time. Make sure it's there. Make sure uh, we have to make sure security. That was very important. You might say, like, security gives a fuck. It's, it's Baltics. Eh? There's no there's no ISIS happening around here. But it was still important to the deal and to the artist. So sure, I'll get some security guys. We got like four, five, six. 
like a lot of these huge Latvia motherfuckers, like built like brick shit houses, huge dudes. And it was great. So that was very interesting to have a ticket seller and then also uh, lots of security hanging around. So, yeah, the the setup is relatively easy. But then little things again, like the stool, pretty common. Artist wants a stool on the stage. Let's talk about stools. We've got the Mikhail Mamer stool, the one that he used in his last show. It's a lovely stool that we got for his show, but it has a soft top on it. It has, that's not good. Need a hard top stool. These are the little things. We got to the venue and then realized there's no stools around this venue. There's no nothing in there. How, oh my shit, I don't even have a stool. What do we do? Ikea, baby. Ikea's just up the road. And due to my screw-up of not organizing and double-checking, there's a stool there. Poor Marilee had to go up the road, go all the way up to Ikea, Latvia, and get uh, a screw-top black stool. And we've got a nice one. It sits on the stage. It looked good. Put the water, I think, Bill sat on it for a little while. As a side note, it's really funny watching people walk by me here on the ferry because they all, like, there's a, I'm talking into a microphone and I think some of them think this is a performance. Like, they're looking at me like, is this something we can watch? Is this something we can sit around and I'll talk about? I'm like, I don't know, maybe. We can all just put some cushions out with a little kumbaya or something. I could deliver the sermon on the mount, maybe. So then, yeah, and, and his manager comes and does a sound check beforehand and then Bill shows up quite close to showtime and you don't get to talk to Bill very much and that's the way it goes. That's the professionalism of it. You don't get to hang around and be like, oh, Bill Bell, you're the greatest. Talk to me about all the stuff you've got going on, Bill Bell. No, you're here. You're a professional, motherfucker. You're here to do a job. And my job is to make sure that show runs smoothly. It's not to chat with the artist and to, you know, to, to fill them in on the history of the Baltics or something like that. That's why they have tour managers because day in, day out, these guys are traveling. I think I'm special. I'm not special. I'm just another promoter in another town. He's a respectful guy. He shook my hand. We had a hello. We had a quick, you know, blah, 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 back and forth. Absolutely polite, lovely gentleman. But that guy's got work to do that day. And I've talked about this before. I think I talked about it in terms of Bill Bailey. Lovely dude, Bill Bailey. Fantastic. A father. Clearly a person who's got their shit together. But on show day, it's all. All for the artist. So I set up a little backstage room. I set up my little table. Uh, and then, then the opener goes on and then Bill. And it's just procedure after that. Like, okay, the opener's on now, the next thing. And making sure, okay, I've got some comm systems, talking to the sound guys. You guys good? All right, light guys is good. Let's go. It happens so fast, but that's the point of it. Like you're just there to be efficient because that's what's, you know, your pleasure is not hanging out, but your pleasure is promoting that show, making that show happen, making two sold out shows, about 2,500 people enjoy one of the greatest artists in the world. That has to be the pleasure you get out of it because if you're not, then it's not going to work for you. So yeah, they have the food. Halfway through, they're like, yo, the guys are hungry. What food options have we got? Another thing, I was a little unprepared. If I think of it all through, I really should have had a few more food options up my sleeve. I mean, you had the backstage food that he wanted, but like, you also need to prepare for the unexpected. You need to prepare for what you don't know. And so, uh, you know, for example, Jimmy Carr's coming in a couple of weeks. I know this, Jim, what Jimmy Carr likes to eat. I know his dietary requirements. He doesn't want a meal before the show. 
I love Jimmy Carr's rider. Six bottles of water. That's it. Oh my God. Six bottles of water. He's so efficient. It's beautiful. But I will make sure that I know where the local restaurants that Jimmy likes to eat at to make sure that at any stage he's hungry, at any stage he wants something, boom, I'm going to be on it and make sure he gets something. Not because he's a prima donna, because he's our man and we got to make sure our man's feeling good so he can entertain thousands of people. So yeah, two shows just flies by. It's one show and the next show and it was... I guess it's when those huge things happen. Like you don't often stop and think and reflect because it's in the moment. I've watched a bunch of the shows, but I think there was that moment I'm sitting back in the sound booth in the Riga Congress Hall and the Riga Congress Hall is old and it's old and it's Soviet. Like the sound booth looks like I'm about to launch Sputnik. Like press the big illuminated button. It's all shiny, old metal. The guy doesn't speak English. I'm like, so there's something going into orbit today. I'm not quite sure what it is. And yeah, to look at that stage and see one of the greats, to see Bill Burr doing Bill Burr on that stage. That's the moment I live for. That makes it all worthwhile for me. So, yeah, what else? Uh, I mean, it's just about being precise. And then after the show, he goes back to the hotel. The next morning, there's a driver, takes him to the airport. He goes on. He takes the next thing. Uh, You know, he's got the next show the next day. And as soon as it comes, it goes. And I loved it. I was very appreciative that a lot of the, all the Comedy Estonia crew came down to Riga. Instead, we all made it a big, we had the Comedy Latvia crew. We had the Comedy Estonia crew at the first show. I know. At the first show, because that was the show we moved it to. They didn't get the good late show. The late show was awesome, by the way. It was, I think it was on point. He was a bit looser. He was a bit more talky-talky. It was great. Everyone came down. I really appreciate that. That was a nice night to spend with everyone. And it, yeah, it felt like we got it all right. And I was really just very happy with the whole crew, whole happy with our organization. And just because it's not about being fancy. It's just about doing the job. And I was happy that with Bill Burr, we did the job. So I'm very excited. I think that uh, having Bill come through is already providing attention in these markets. And that Bill Burr comes through and then other artists go, oh, really? That's uh, I'm not going to get killed and tortured. That's great. I'm going to go there. (laughs) So I think that's a big moment. The Americans are learning that there's a place called Europe and that it's a reasonable place to want to come. You know what I'm saying? I think the English have already had it worked out. Dylan, Eddie, Jimmy, you name it, the big one. Dara O'Brien's coming. It's going to be great. But the Americans are cracking on that there's a big wide world out there. And I'm very excited for the artists that we're going to be bringing in the future. That's the fun. That's the really interesting part. All right, guys, that's my story of promoting Bill Burr and why I loved it. And yeah, so I don't know. I feel like there's more I want to say about this thing. It's like such, I think I'm still processing it myself to hear one of your heroes and to have them there and to do that, like years of work. And two shows, 2,500 people coming through there. Uh... 
It was great, guys. So I'm on the ferry today. I'm going to go work out some stuff with our partners here. We're doing some great work in Finland still. And uh, yeah, then tonight we've got the Tusi Soyad podcast in Gang Club. That's been going very well. Uh, Ari last night was in, he closed the English open mic at Teleskivi and it was fucking killer. Like the, when I look at Ari and I see that, and I know even that was a relatively new bit. It wasn't, he wasn't doing completely new stuff, but the structure is there. Like that's, even when it's a new bit, it's like, it just comes out kind of in a structure. And that's a difference between a less experienced and a more experienced artist that the less experienced artist kind of has some ideas. They got some, maybe some funny line and you can kind of, you kind of say some blah, 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 just to spit out the funny line. And there's the joke. But when you watch Ari, there's structure and there's movement and there's physicality. And it's like, why is it funny that he just waved his head around and went, and waved his head around. He just repeated the same punchline, but waved his head around and went, and we're still laughing. Why is that? Because he's that good at the craft. He's getting that much better at it. So that was a real exciting thing to to have him back here. I'm really, I'm, I'm really excited about that. Okay, guys, I'm going to stop rambling. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for doing my solo ones. Um, I'm just going to keep going. So no matter what you're doing, keep on pumping. Put the noose away. Don't jump out the window just yet. We're going to have some sunshine soon, people. Check all the shows out at ComedyEstonia.com and thank you very much for listening to my podcast. I'll talk to you all soon. See you later.